Welcome, everybody, to the 19th episode of the Dunkin' with Dom podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Dominic Chappone. Uh, joined today for the second part of our uh, last dance uh, pre- uh, walkthrough. I'm here with Michael Rees. Michael, welcome to the pod. I'm glad to hear. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Definitely excited to finally get to share my opinion as a known um, enjoyer of the of the podcast. I watched it uh, like two days ago. Should be fun. All right, well, I'm very really glad to hear, and obviously, I really thank you for being here. Uh, obviously, uh, the last episode, we did the first five episodes of The Last Dance, and this episode, we're basically going to tie in all the loose ends and uh, just talk about a lot of the big picture stuff um, from the last five episodes, especially in regards to what it covers, because for as much as I love the first five episodes, the last five episodes are really not only good in terms of watching, but also, I, I can argue, and you could probably argue too, very important in terms of what they're, what they're covering. Um, before we go any further, remind me, is John Lee uh, on Team LeBron or Team Jordan? I, I feel like he's a team middle. I feel like I, I maybe maybe a little toward LeBron, but I don't know. I don't know. I think he's like a, a middleman. Okay, because for the people who don't know, I am ex- I'm an extreme LeBron fan. So being able to watch the second best player of all time on documentary is great for me. <laughs> I think I think I think John was a little imp- was definitely more impartial in our uh, pod. He definitely was trying to like you know like just get the the whole the whole basis for it, which is pretty cool. Um, so I guess just like to start off a little bit, what were your thoughts like like how was it, like watching like the stock again? Because obviously the reason we're doing this that it's been literally a, almost a year to the date since the first episode came out. That was about like four days ago. Um, and obviously, the, this doc is easily one of the best sports docs probably ever created. It's definitely one of the best document, uh, documentary series I've ever watched. Certainly, I mean, certainly it's, it's eye-opening, right? Because, like, you know, um, our generation, where we're pretty young, we never got to see LeBron, or we, I'm sorry, we never got to see Jordan, um, you know, like, actually perform in real time. And as much as you see stats and, and all that, it's, it doesn't really compare or, like, hear, like, other people's reports of how he played, it doesn't really compare to seeing some of his clips in person and seeing everyone around him talk about talk about him the way they do, right? Like all the side interviews that they have while they're showing, you know, the narrative and the and the clips of the gameplay stuff, is that it's the highest praise from people like Patrick Ewing, Charles Barkley, uh, Reggie Miller, you know, all those greats who played during that time, right? So it's just it's 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 great. It's eye opening to see. Um, just the impact that man's had on the game. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point about the interviews because I think what I think I hate to use like this cringy thing, but it, this literally was bigger than basketball. Like the people they brought on, it showed like how impactful of a guy this uh, my, or Michael Jordan was. Like it wasn't just basketball guys; it was even you know they had like pop culture icons. They had like you know journalists from you know, all across the country. They have um, even like you know former presidents and even like. Uh, importing, you know, prominent NBA people like, you know, David Stern and Kobe and all those, uh, and all those individuals, it definitely showcased like, just like the extent to which like, you know, MJ not only impacted the league, but also uh, global culture on it's like literally an entire, this is especially a prevalent, like obviously episode five, which we're not going to cover, but he basically became a cultural icon that everyone adored. Yeah, for sure. Um, specifically, I remember they got what Barack Obama was, was yeah, they, the got, they got Clinton and Obama on this thing. Yeah, and they got they got David Stern no before he passed. Yeah, they, they so they interviewed David Stern like a a couple like a little bit before he passed because he passed away in twenty twenty. So that's insane. yeah, that's insane. Yeah, I think that's definitely. I think that's a I think that aged like aged I say relatively well. It's just as like a viewer watching like Kobe and David Stern on the interview and realizing like they've like 
the the interviews obviously were done before they passed. And it's just like it's like a little goosebumpy watching them like you know talk about something when you know like they're, they're gone from this world at least. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, just kind of crazy. I guess the timing was just um, pretty pretty good, all things considered. Yeah. So I want to start off here by talking about episode six. I think this is easily the most fascinating episode so far because episode five does a really good job with explaining the 92 finals and as well as everything regarding the dream team and all that stuff. And that was an important episode because it not only put MJ on like the new path of like, this isn't just like a superstar. This is our next generation like guy here, A. But B, it also elevated how Jordan was, you know, this perfect guy that everyone wanted to be. There's like the famous Be Like Mike Gatorade commercial. Jordan's shoes are taking off, all that good stuff. But episode six turns to the side of MJ that nobody knew of before. Basically, the the part where it was like the too good to be true type story. Like, am I, am I wrong here? No, no, you're completely right. The, the expose, like the book, um, The Jordan Rules, like that just kind of like killed it. I mean, it didn't kill his reputation, right? He's Jordan. But it's certainly, they, you know, people realize, yo, this guy isn't perfect. This guy is... is a dictator on the on the basketball court like the way he runs practice the way he um you know the way he he conducts the team ironically you know who who jordan reminded me of to, to use an nba comparison to now he reminded um, me of, of jimmy butler a little you know, yeah he's, he's like he, he's like rich man jimmy butler almost yeah yeah he's like jimmy butler but like on steroids like it's actually insane yeah we can I mean, cover i, I actually want to go Listen, I want to go over this now because I think this is pretty fascinating because you bring up, obviously, this Sam Smith book. So basically, uh, episode six is a good job detailing like why. It basically preludes episode seven when Jordan retires. And the big question is, what what's the buildup? First off, A, Sam Smith releases a book after the 92 finals detailing basically the early Bulls era and how there's a lot of turmoil, especially with Jordan's leadership practices, how he dealt with other people. There's like stories of him saying, don't pass this guy the ball in certain moments of the game, all, all that stuff. And it's not like that was necessarily a bad thing. Cause you know, like titles are titles. However, it did put this image out there of Jordan that like, he wasn't, you know, like the Goldilocks, like prototype for what it meant to be um, a leader and a follower. Another thing that I think was kind of semi-important. It is not really in this episode, but they covered a lot in episode five was that whole Georgia Senator race where basically Michael Jordan was supposed, it was, remember that race, it was an African-American civil rights activist against like this white supremacist Senator and MJ wouldn't endorse the civil rights guy just because he had that quote, like, I don't care if you're a, a what party you are, like they all buy, they buy sneakers too, all that stuff. The third thing that I think started, and I want to talk about this one a lot, a lot, um, was the Atlantic city story. So basically uh, after game two, or I think before game two or after game two, 1993 Eastern Conference Finals, Jordan goes out and stays in Atlantic City basically until 2 or 3 a.m. The Obviously, it's a bit subjective of the time, but obviously that puts out there the issue of Jordan's uh, either, if not a gambling problem, then definitely some sort of gambling issue. Um, gambling was certainly a recurring theme in Jordan's life, at least in the second half of the podcast. Definitely got, a, um, you know, got to see uh, his endeavors in the uh with the dice right um but i don't i mean for, okay coming from a from a personal you know like a, my opinion i don't really think i i kind of have to side with jordan on the fact that i don't think the whole uh atlantic city fiasco was was as big as it should have been i mean I, you know the news needs news right like they need something to cover and um you know after a loss jordan goes 
and starts partying and or not, you know gambling in like Atlantic City. That's certainly news. But I really do think it was overhyped and just kind of, I guess it was like a perfect storm type thing with them losing with the book, you know, still being pretty prominent, I would say. It was less than a year since the release and people were still talking about it. Um, and the whole, I don't want to, you know, anti-Jordan sentiment, at least to some extent, right? Like, you know, compared with 1992 and, you know, before then, you know, there was less of a, you know, uh, there was more realization that Jordan wasn't perfect. And that's when people started magnifying his flaws. So I think this this story was just, it came out at like the worst possible time for it to come out. Yeah, no, especially on terms of like, because then of course, like once this gambling thing becomes more prominent, then of course there's that famous book that's published where it was, it's, um, I'm trying to think of the name right now. Um, oh, the guy, uh, Slim, there's like the story of like Slim, Slim Bowler or something like that, yeah. who he owed, like apparently Jordan gave him a check and now this is a guy who remember was charged with like money laundering and you know problems with drugs. There's this book called the Esquinas book or the Esquinas book, which detailed how Jordan owed you know millions in losses in money because of uh, uh, bets on golf games. And it really started to compile. It wasn't like it was necessarily a bad thing. Um, after all, like the guy, I mean, he is an individual himself. He can you know do what he wants. However, it did not like definitely help his reputation especially at that time and obviously like you know when they keep, they keep covering it and covering it and covering it, it kind of you know starts to affect it a little bit and we saw that i think episode six did a really good job comparing 1998 to 1993 especially that like fatigue on jordan where it's like he's physically still 150 percent, but mentally you could see like the wear and tear and the beginning of the end in terms of like his playing career oh you know the the i mean i feel like the juxtaposition between the two years was most effective in episode six, just because you got to see, you know, Jordan at his limit. And in my opinion, Jordan's best performance ever that 93 finals. Oh, and we'll get into that for sure. Cause that's, I'm um, going to talk about that in like five or so minutes. It was easily, I think people tend to forget great finals performances and always mention, you know, a couple of the more recent ones, but that 93 performance is easily one of the better performances and arguably maybe the best finals performance ever, but we'll touch on it in a minute. Cause I want to, stay on this topic for like one more second here because obviously um, this is a big deal, especially in terms of how this connects uh, the 93 to the 98 season, particularly when it comes to Jordan's decision-making, because if Jordan wanted to, he could have literally played 20 something years um, and still have been, you know, one of the best five players, maybe 10 players in the league, even like as an old age, just because of how good he was. But we see how even like in 93, after like, obviously like a spoiler, he wins the ring. He's like, I'm done. I have no more to give. There's like the famous story in the 92, um, uh, in the 92 dream team where he's sitting with his best buddy and he goes, you know what I want to do? I want to play baseball. And he goes, well, when are you going to do it? And he goes, I'm not going to do it now because bird and magic didn't win two or three in a row. I want to win three in a row to prove to, uh, cross that barrier, you know, like have that milestone. But if not, I would be playing baseball. And it definitely showed how Jordan's mind started like, you know, come off basketball. Um, yeah, I mean, he definitely had a lot of times, right, during he, where he's like, yeah, I, I haven't even thought about basketball. I haven't even, you know, like, as much as the guy obviously cared about basketball, like, that wasn't his whole thing. You know, he, he gambled a lot. He did this, he did that. He played golf, right? He wasn't just, you know, <laughs> he's not Tom Brady when it comes to, like, always, you know, the guy had a work ethic for sure, Um, which, you know, we're going to get on with the later episodes. You see it, but... um. Like the guy definitely had other stuff going on. It wasn't just his, he wasn't just a hundred percent 
basketball and that's it. That's his whole personality. That's his whole life. There, there was more to the man, Michael Jordan. And I think this documentary and, and um, microcosm, this episode really showed, you know, Michael Jordan, the person a lot. And I think this episode is easily the most, if not the most important, the most crucial to the plot for the documentary, because easily this could have been left out. Like they could have just talked about the 93 finals, said he retired and all that stuff, but it all connects, especially comparing um, both eras, especially that 93 to 98 stretch. For sure. For sure. Um, I want to focus on um, the 93 finals. It is easily one of the best finals of all time. It is probably one of the two or three most important ones of the 90s. Um, what were your thoughts on it? Just straight up. <laughs> Dude, I, I was just like, I didn't re- remember how good he played. I just, I remember because they did a, a thing after every game where they showed like the final box score and how many points Jordan scored. And that guy was putting up 40 a night, bro. It was, you know, the, the, remember how crazy he was in that 93 finals. And that was your, your third finals, like in the last three years. You have to be fatigued. You have to be like done. But no, he just kept on going. Yeah, so the context of this is super important. Remember, the Bulls have just made basically three two, three straight trips to the NBA Finals. Before that, they made two straight trips to the Con- Eastern Conference Finals. So basically a, a five-year run, or a four-going on five-year run of NBA dominance. Barkley wins the MVP in 93. Jordan places third in the MVP, and that's literally all the motivation he needed because, um, you know, he tries to find these little edges, and he goes, oh, the league thinks that he's the MVP. I'm going to prove him wrong. And it was usually Jordan's best performance. Like, I remember there's, like, the story of Charles Barkley, and he goes, in game two, I had the best game of my life. I dropped 40 points, 18 rebounds. I couldn't have had a better game. But for the first time in my life, they were someone better than me. And so I said that Barkley, you know, is, like, a, a scrub. He's He was ranked as one of the 25 best players after he retired. And this is a guy that, you know, won an MVP, was the best player, and an almost champion. Like, this is no scrub here. And there was just the dominance is to the extent. And I think people tend to forget the the talent on that Phoenix Suns team. Like this team won over 60 games. They had the best record in the entire league. Um, Kevin Johnson and both and Barkley are both top hundred players. They had like one of the deepest supporting casts ever. Like Dan Marley, like everyone says, like, oh, Jordan played a bunch of a bunch, a bunch of plumbers. Like Dan Marley made the all NBA defensive team for basically like five or six times that decade. Like, this isn't like no scrub. Like these are actual, like, you know, like quality NBA guys here. Um, dude, I just, okay, I Googled it. Um, remind me, was game six the John Paxson three? Or am I thinking some some other time? No, that's, that's game six. So Bulls win the first two games at Phoenix. Game three goes to triple overtime, I think. Jordan drops like 50-something, but they lose. Phoenix, um, Bulls win game four. Phoenix wins game five. So they're back in Phoenix for game six. Uh, and that's when the Paxton shot happens, which I think, I think that's another thing that I think people tend to over underrate is that, you know, how like a lot of people say like, Oh, LeBron, like even I'm sometimes pro this, but you know, people say like, Oh, 2013 finals, the Allen shot saved LeBron's career, but people don't realize that LeBron scored every point except for the Ray Allen shot in that quarter. Similarly for the MJ, Jordan scored every point in that fourth quarter, except for three points. And that was the Paxton shot. So it goes to show that we just, we can't be focusing solely on like moments and we need to literally like take the bigger picture when it comes to, you know, uh, analyzing NBA legends. Cause I think we really need to do that, especially as like, you know, the people who cover these guys, you know, start passing away. They start losing their voice uh, to like the newer generation. Um, yeah, but okay. But going back to the, the original, like overall series, it's it's just kind of insane. Like, am I you know am I good? By the way, I can I can be heard. 
Right. Yeah, you're good to go. Sorry. Sorry I thought, I thought my wife picked it up for a second. No, you're all good. Um, no, I just, it's, it's insane. Cause you have like, you know, the, this, like you said, the, uh, the Suns team wasn't no pushovers. They had Barkley off an MVP season. They had uh, Kevin Johnson. And even before the finals, the, the Bulls had to play a really tough Magic squad. Oh, the Knicks. Um, you mean the Knicks? Or the Knicks, my bad. A really tough Knicks squad with, with Ewing um, and, and other players that I can't remember right now. No, but um, and remember, and to it, get there. That, by the way, in the 90s, made two finals, made the Eastern Conference finals another three times or two. Like, this is, again, like, this isn't like a case of, you know, like, the Bulls are the only good team in the East. No, like, there's like a bunch of quality teams. Actually, like, funny enough, uh, in the Eastern Conference, uh, more likely than not, I think except for one year in the 90s, um, I think it was 94 maybe, all the Eastern Conference teams combined had a better, more wins and a better winning percentage than the West. Like, it was easier to get, it was still competitive, but the East was like a, like, doghouse to go through. Like, there were like every year, like, until like the late 90s, like five or six teams that you could make a case in the East should have been like the fi- in the finals. Oh uh, yeah, no, um, for sure. Like that that East was was certainly competitive, and I remember the because they were they were a lot more physical back then than they are now. So I guess it there was more. You know, you get more taxed playing in 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 finals games than you, yeah, that's you also, would otherwise, that, right? Or you get more taxed playing in playoff games. That also compounded, obviously, with you know the MJ retirement thing. It's not necessarily that you know MJ quit or like he. Just like, but like, it does, it does affect you. Like there was a lot, like the NBA, like back then is like way more physical than it was now. Like the stuff they're getting away with is, you know, it would be considered a homicide if they played in 2021. And not, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It was just a different era. The refing was certainly different. Just like the, the brand of ball was obviously very, uh, very unique. And that added to, you know, Jordan's fatigue, which actually, uh, I want to transition to episode seven here. Cause this is where like the, uh, you know, what hits the fan, like Jordan officially goes into retirement. The bombshell of a moment in his life the passing of his father and this obviously compounded for a lot of reasons so first off mj's biggest icon by far and away is his dad uh and we they emphasize that you know like 15 minutes or so and it's a very important part of the doc not only did his father pass away but of course the like a lot of the people in journalism especially you know being greedy and you know trying to you know put uh circles and square or square uh shapes and circle pegs think that mj you know hired a hitman uh, or that his father was involved in some gambling stuff, which, by the way, there's no basis of evidence for that. Oh, that was messed and up. That was, that was, yeah, that was, that was the last messed up. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that was just messed up, like what they did. Um, okay, wait, before I go any further, I apologize if I'm having audio issues or Wi-Fi issues. And oh, I can, can hear you per- I can hear you perfectly on this end. All right, perfect. Um, ben, just, I, I, just comment a little bit on like that, because I think that was like easily, I think people tend to forget like, oh, Jordan didn't just retire. Like, at that point, he just had enough, especially with just like other people. He wasn't finding happiness in basketball anymore. Like even David Stern admitted, like, listen, this guy did nothing wrong. I, I, this isn't a secret suspension. There's no conspiracy theory. Like literally, this guy on his own doing said, "I'm out." I mean, it, the the timing of it all, right? Like, you have just won three wing. You you just pretty much solidified yourself, as they said on Mount Rush um, Mount Rushmore. You um, you know, you you pretty much just like. You're you're certainly a top four player of all time. You just want three rings. It's never been done before. Like three rings that you three peed, right? Um, and even after that, you you know, your your father passes away after that, and that you already have you know less motivation because you kind of did everything you wanted, right? You got the three peed, and then on top of that, you you know it becomes a thing where like personally you don't want to see a basketball. You associate 
basketball with your father, with with your you know your best friend, the person who's been through it all with you. Even he said the the one solace he found was the fact that his father saw him play his last game, and um, you know, like his father saw him play his last game, so he kind of kind of said, "All right, I guess it's time to 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 hang it up." And honestly, like it just kind of I guess everything just kind of worked its way to for that to just happen. I don't know how to put it. No, that was an excellent way to put it because literally um, it just showed like not only how much of a role the father had in his life, but also just like showed how he had nothing else to offer in basketball, especially in the NBA. Remember, like he literally said in the doc, Magic and Bird never won three in a row. After they both retired, they were assumed the best NBA players probably of all time. Besides, you know, you know, like the Russells and Creams of the world, like even like Kareem never won three in a row. Like all those like greats never did that. Jordan, like, that was like the mark bad. I think people tend to forget that. Like the mark, like the the stuff of the Russell days was, you know, like was like, you know, the stuff of legends. So the the bar to set was, you know, win three. Like if you win three in a row, you're easily the best ever. And once you did that, there was nothing left to give. And then I, I want to end this on a good note for episode seven because it ties in a lot to what the disconnect was with MJ. And that's his leadership style and his personality. Because there's an interesting question they asked at the end of episode seven, and and they the guy goes, um, do you, would you sacrifice, would you continue this um, intensity and leadership style at the expense of being perceived as a nice guy? And it's an interesting thought. And Jordan, you know, pauses for a minute and he goes, well, it doesn't matter if I'm a nice guy or not because winning has a price. And if you, and literally he says, it and like goes emotionally, he goes, if you don't want to play that way, don't play that way. And it just shows that, like MJ care. Like it wasn't like, he gets criticized a lot for, you know, obviously the, the, the stories of, you know, him like beating and trash talking, but it's more than that. It's that he, he, he didn't do it just to do it. He did it because he really cared about his peers and he wanted to win. And even at the, if that included the expense of, you know, hurting somebody's feelings one day, you know, like talking crap to somebody it had a purpose to it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like this doc does a good job of portraying the good and the bad of Jordan, because, you know, like I, if there was one person, you know, there's a magnifying lens on Jordan, obviously, but you know, they, it doesn't glamorize him too much. Like you, you know, it obviously to some extent you're seeing it through Jordan's eyes, right? You're going to feel for the guy and you're going to respect the guy for all he's done. But, you know, with the, the Sam Smith book with, you know, you know, the way he he treated uh, teammates, which you saw a lot of practice footage from that 98 season. Um, it just, you got to see a lot of Jordan, right? And you got to see even the the bad stuff that maybe would have been cut out if you wanted to make Jordan propaganda. Yeah, and it goes to show that they actually wanted to, like, you know, tell the proper story. Because again, like they could have done the, the approach of just doing all highlights, all good stuff, you know, basically brainwashed. Uh, remember, because obviously a lot of our generation didn't grow up with MJ. Like he, some of these stories we've never heard of before, even like the basketball junkie that I am. Some of the stuff they're saying, like I did not know. Like I was, for instance, I did not know about all. I know there was a gambling problem, but they never like never got into the details of it. Some of these like stories about like you know behind the scenes stuff, like the they talk about a lot with the Space Jam filming, how they had like um like five on five basketball with all these great legends. Like some of the stuff, even like they could have just hid from us, but it actually tells like literally provides a concrete story of not just MJ's career, but obviously tying it back to that 98 season, because obviously all this duck revolves around the 98 season, particularly all of these different themes, even though Jordan's fatigue and like, where is he in the context of NBA history and how he was as a person and like, what did he do in terms of like, you know, 
taking the league to new heights and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, I, the, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what to add. That's just, that's a good way to sum up the doc. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to move on to the next episode then, because I think episode eight is also pretty important because it covers about three years worth of content here, mainly going from uh, the end of the 93 season. So that first season um, without, or the first season with the bulls uh, without Jordan until he comes back, talks about his baseball. Yeah. It talks about his baseball playing days a bit. They go into his comeback in 95. And then obviously that famous 96 season. Um, I want to start here with um, what were your thoughts on, um, on that basically the whole narrative, you know, Jordan coming back to baseball, because obviously it's a big prevalent, very prevalent in the doc. And there's several factors that definitely change Jordan's opinion to, you know, return to, to return to basketball. Um, this is the part. Okay. So he came back because of the baseball lock. I mean, obviously he wanted to play basketball again, but the, the, like what kind of motivated him was, was the baseball lock. I don't know. Like, because there was a lockout in that, in that baseball season, then he started working out with, uh, with some of the old Chicago guys. And it's and easy. I was saying it's easy. The, the famous facts, the I'm back, which was, I, I, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought something. that up. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up because it's easily, I think, the most like what if one of the most important what ifs in sports ever. Because if there isn't a sports lockout, Jordan is still probably training. And there's like stories they're saying, like, hey, if he kept training like this, he could have been like a really good baseball player for like a decade. Um, and there's this huge narrative that the baseball's gone, he's got nothing else to do, the bulls are struggling. There's this whole like window of opportunity there where he can literally just come back. And not only does he do it, but like, I think, I think the most impressive thing, I think if you can argue anything in MJ's career, that's like the most impressive, no game winner, no big scoring night. It's him basically retiring from basketball for basically two years, changing his body to make a baseball body coming back mid season. And, you know, a grueling NBA year where, you know, like it's the nineties, you know, everything's like super intense and very physically demanding basically leading the bulls to two games out from the M or a couple games out from the NBA finals, then coming back and rechanging his body again to become basketball again, and then leading the bulls to that 72 win season and um, the title. Uh, it's easily the best, you know, it's easy the best, you know, two to three year stretch uh, accomplishment probably of all time. Before that, I wanted to, I want to, <laughs> before we talk about that 96 season, because we have so much to unpack of that 96 season, I want to take, I want to talk about, like, just, I remember it struck me, the 94 playoffs, when Scottie Pippen quit on the team, that oh, was, absolutely. I had never heard of that, and that was crazy, like, I, I remember I saw, I was looking at it, jaw dropped, when I saw it was like, what, Kokic had to take the final shot? Yep. Because, it's um... Uh, Scotty just, I mean, I mean Scott, uh, Kogic was going to take the final shot, but Scotty said, no, that should have been my shot. And he basically like said, no, I'm not going in. Yeah, that, that's that a, that was, it's a big story for a lot of reasons. A, you bring it up very well. Even like I didn't really know about it until I read it. Like I actually like found an article, ironically enough, like three weeks before the doc came out, they actually just happened to bring it up, but I never knew about it. A, B, it's funny because like it's like on Scotty's resume. It's like he literally, he, he says in the doc, if he would, um, would he do it again? He says, yes. And I, I know this is like me talking for him. I disagree. I think that decision like tarnished his career because the one thing that he'll always be known as is the guy who can never be better than the second best player in a title team. Even the one opportunity he had to be an alpha and just basically say, hey, we, I'm going to sacrifice my uh, time in the spotlight for this guy's time in the spotlight. He he blew it, and not only that, but like the Bulls have run this set. Like they bring it up in the doc, the Bulls have run the same set 
a gajillion times. It's this high screen at the top of the key. Ku coach gets and literally just like throws up a prayer. Like they've run this uh, five or six times, all game winners, of course. Like there's nothing wrong here. Scotty's the best passer on the team. He can either be an off-ball player, a decoy on offense, or, you know, a screen setter uh, to get some motion going. And instead they had to put, you know, Pete Myers, who, you know, nobody's ever heard of before to, you know, inbound the ball. <laughs> and, it's, and lastly, it also showcased like the – the flaw Scotty had as a human being, because I love the guy to death. He's one of the 30 best players of all time. Uh, easily one of the five best two-way players of all time. Like no one's going to have a better a presence on both offense or defense than Scotty. But the downside is that as a, as a human, he had some flaws. There's he, for as much as he was frustrated, he acted sometimes unprofessional in that 98 season. We saw it here. He acted unprofessional again when he got traded to Houston. Um, obviously in the timeline after this doc, he fizzled out with Hakeem, and uh, Barkley there. So, I mean, it just goes to show, like, it, he wasn't, like, he also, like, I guess this doc, if there's one thing that proves that like, these people were awesome and really good at what they did, but they weren't necessarily perfect people. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like that there's a lot of stuff to unpack from that 94 season, right? Because, like, you get to see Scotty trying to be an alpha, as you said, which, um, you know, he's a really good facilitator. But at the end of the day, he wasn't and is not an alpha like in terms of basketball, uh, they ran, you know, I remember the doc said something like, ironically enough, like um, they ran the triangle offense the best the year that Jordan left, even though the triangle offense was supposed to be uh, based on Jordan. Which I, I, I thought it was pretty good. It also was, you know, with the fact that like everyone on that team basically could pass and everyone on that team had really good chemistry. Reminds me a lot of the 16 Warriors where everyone just plays off each other and there's a lot of, even you know, even if you don't have Curry, you still have Clay, right? <laughs> you know, the, the funny the funny thing is that with that that Bulls team is that it's one of the weirdest teams to win fifty five games ever because it doesn't look on paper like they're a good team, but it's just one of those times where you know all the pieces somehow fit together. It's kind of like that Hawks team that you know won a lot of games where it's like they won a lot of games. Don't get me wrong, but like how they did it, it's more of like a teamwork thing, not necessarily an upside thing. And you're bringing up a lot. That ninety four season is incredible for a bunch of reasons. Because first off, the Jordan retirement took 99% of people by surprise. So every major NBA team went into instant, we need to win now. And this is both out East and West. Every Eastern Conference team especially was like, Jordan is the reason we weren't able to make the finals the last three years. Now is our opportunity and our window to win. A. B, it mattered because now there's this like hole. Jordan basically was the alpha in the league for basically the first seven years that he's in the league. And then that last little gap, but that two years, there's a gap as like, who's the best player? Like, who's the king? And ends up being Hakeem Olajuwon without by far and away, given his performances. And it even changed the legacies of players. Like, it changed Scotty's legacy, how we viewed him. Hakeem Olajuwon, the only two rings in the 90s, uh, not one, or that, that's that eight-year stretch, the only rings not won by MJ were won by Hakeem's teams. And he was considered, you know, like, one of the best 10 players. He's been considered one of the best 10 players of all time. Uh, it changed Ewing's uh, career trajectory Because if Ewing didn't make the finals in 94, He'll be known as, you know, one of the best two-way centers that, you know, couldn't lead his team. Ditto for Shaq in 95 and all. So it changed a lot of uh, legacies. Like, I think people tend to forget uh, how important MJ's retirement was, not just, like, for the doc, but, like, actually, like, for the history of the league. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, it's just kind of, like, you you give more people spotlight, right? Like, Jordan retires. It's like, all right, who's the second best? It's time to see. You know, we, we know Jordan's the best. Like, we know Jordan's the best. Who's the second best right now? And it ended up being uh, Hakeem Olajuwon. I thought that was pretty interesting. And also, you know, 
just to lightly touch on it, you know, Jordan playing baseball was I remember they said like he was able to hang out with his teammates and stuff. I'm like, good for him. Good for him. Yeah, no, that was funny. No, and then obviously I want to transition now to ep- uh, finishing off episode eight because then we get into the whole Jordan comes back. And again, it sets up a lot of things. First off, there's the baseball strike, which obviously means he's not playing. There's the famous story of Scottie Pippen on TV with the MJ shoes, like pointing at the camera saying like uh, doing like that whole shenanigan. He starts working out and then eventually the press release comes out and there's like the story of David Falk uh, the aide, his agent going, Hey, how do I write this up? Like, I've been trying to write this for, you know, a couple hours. I'm on like edition six. And he goes, yeah, all right. And he just puts, I'm back. And it's like the most famous two words ever said in NBA history, at least in the nineties and not all time. And it helps because then we transition to the 95 season, Jordan, the Bulls sneak into the playoffs they make it to the Eastern conference semis, take on the magic. And Jordan looks human. There's the, he's wearing number 45. And there's the famous story of Nick Anderson going like, this ain't the right Jordan. This is a different version. And he was right. He looked out of shape Uh, in game one. uh, The bulls are up by one. They have a chance to win this game on the road. And he, he loses the ball. He just like stops dribbling, doesn't pay attention. The bulls, uh, the magic get a dunk. And that series basically over. And for once they literally put it best. That was the lowest point probably in MJ's career. 23. That's 45. That was such a, Bro, that was such a that looks that was crazy. And then he comes back the next uh, game with like number twenty three and posts some crazy numbers. Like yeah, that, there's that a- whole sequence. Even though, even though, sorry, even though, um, even though they didn't win the series, like even in that series, you saw Jordan come back a bit, and you saw him like, like rust off a bit. So yeah, was, no, uh, you, no, you're right. Especially, especially by the end, because like by the end of the series, he looked pretty exhausted. And then we saw this transformation almost where Jordan enters this new phase of his career that's totally different, by the way, from his version back um, in the early 90s. A lot more post-up heavy. He basically almost changed with the times. The NBA was slowing down, a lot more iso ball, a lot more post-ups, a lot of chewing the clock, less transition. So he adapted a lot more, um, a lot less, you know, big, crazy dunks over, you know, 18 people, Um, a lot more post-ups and fadeaways trying to conserve his body. Um, he got better as a decision maker, I think, especially uh, just seeing the floor. I think he unlocked that uh, toward the latter half of the 90s compared to the early 90s. Not to say that he was bad or in the first part, but he got really good. Uh, and it's one of those things where, like the numbers don't really tell the story because on paper, he's still averaging 30 points. He's still averaging, you know, five or six assists. But it, you can just tell like a game like in 1991 from MJ and a game in 98 are totally two different things. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is when you start seeing the um, as you said, we start seeing the transition over to that where it's it's a lot less physical, it's a lot more, I'm just gonna score over you and you can't do anything about it, versus what it used to be, I'm just gonna run past you and you can't do anything about it. Which I mean, either way, there's no way to stop the guy, but it's a different it, it evolves at the times. Um, yeah. I want to transition to the ending of this story here and that is uh and uh, actually the end of this episode and that is obviously uh, episode eight where they talk a lot about this 90s and there's a lot to unpack here there's the steve kerr story about him uh, him getting punched in the face by mj which ends up being his you know defining moment as an nba player and comes back later to help the bulls the next year in the finals mj passes the ball to steve kerr and steve kerr just drills this shot to win the game there's the 96 season itself where the Bulls win 72 games, which, by the way, was three more games than the previous record and had never been done before. There's the game six Seattle against the Sonics. The Bulls win. It's on Father's Day, the first time Jordan 
won a game or won his title a title with his father not being in the stands. And there's that famous foot of him holding the basketball just like on the floor, like letting it all out. And you it was they touched. I I really love that last one, especially because everyone knew MJ as the brute dictator on the team who was hyper competitive, you know, a robot almost. And one of the and I think Judd Bush or but like one of his teammates goes like the wait, he's human, like he cries. And that was like a very uh, touching moment for me in the dog. I don't know if it was for you too. Um, no, it certainly was for me. All right. Before I continue to this point, I just want to say the most, like with everything that happened that 96 season, Steve Kerr making the game winner, uh, Jordan, you know, putting up a crazy performance on father's day. The most, like I, the one thing I took away from that season was Dennis Rodman. What I did after I finished the docs, I straight up, Searched up and in like, and I watched the entire Bref- Breakfast Club interview with with Dennis Rodman. I just wanted to hear that guy speak, but I just wanted hey, to a character indeed. Yeah, but going back to um, going back to to the whole the whole season, um, it it was you know there was a lot of preparation that went towards it. I remember that was like Jordan's most like heavy off season, so he definitely had that like it refueled his fire to win. Right, losing to the losing to the Magic the year before, and he did everything in his power to go and um and have the season that he did right he um you know he 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 worked out a lot he he prepared himself got his body back which this is coming off a baseball body right he had to retransform his body to debut it basically in the 96 season and yes he had help with um you know Dennis Rodman playing amazing you had um you know Scotty Pippen playing amazing you had role players like Steve Kerr which that that by the practice story was was great but um you know with the, him punching Jordan, Jordan punching him back, and they got like mutual respect after that, to the point where where Kurt takes a game winner to basically, you know, secure a championship. You know, basically, <laughs> and um, it's just it's it's a lot of stuff that that kind of domino effects it. You know, yeah, domino effect kind of thing. Yeah, no, that actually allows us to transition to episode nine. Not really a lot to talk about here because basically they just cover. Um, the Eastern Conference Finals in 98 and then the NBA Finals in 97. But that 97 Finals is extremely important because of the flu game in Game 5 and then that curse shot in Game 6, or uh, that was a Game 6, I think, the curse shot. Because um, it all comes back to, my, especially the, I think the most fascinating story, I think the one that people don't talk about a lot is the Steve Kerr story with his father. Because while MJ and Kerr were, came from totally two different backgrounds and grew up totally two different lifestyles and were as NBA players totally on the opposite end of the spectrum, they, the one thing that united them was the death of their fathers in tragedy, because obviously MJ's father, the, the death, the, 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 the story behind it was so unknown. And for Steve Kerr, it was just an act of like unfortunate climate. His father gets assassinated by a terrorist group uh, in Beirut, in Lebanon, in Lebanon, or wow, Lebanon, excuse me. Um, and it just happens so fast. And I didn't even know he was actually the president of American University at Lebanon. I think that was a fascinating fact that I did not know. American University in Beirut is an oxymoron, but um, but yeah, it's 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 kind of because even Kerr said that um that they never that they never talked about their father's passing, like they never physically discussed it, or they never like actually discussed it. But despite that, they were in tune with each other and knew about each other and and felt for each other. I would imagine, I you know this this is obviously speculation. They never you know, explicitly said that they all, they understood each other because of that, but it's subconsciously 
going through that experience, it's it's an unthinkable experience. Um, it, it certainly at least had to have a, a deeper level of respect to each other, knowing, um, being able to relate to, uh, relate through what they've been to the point where, where Jordan definitely trusted Steve Kerr. And I'm not saying it's completely because of this, but I'm saying this definitely didn't hurt the fact that they, that, that Jordan had the amount of trust uh, in, in Kerr that he did. And Kerr even certainly had trust in Jordan. I mean, first of all, he's Jordan. Second of all, um, after the 97 finals, when they're celebrating, when they have like their championship, uh, Steve Kerr is making all these jokes talking about how he bailed Michael out of the finals. And Michael's <laughs> and laughing as, you know, butt just, off over there. Yeah, exactly. My, Michael finds this hilarious. He, he's going along with the joke. So it's just one of those things where like, like it certainly, certainly didn't hurt the uh, the whole relationship between the two. Yeah, no, and you bring up that trust. That's very important, especially in the context of game six, 97 finals. The, the Bulls are in a timeout. They're either tied or down one. I'm not sure. And they literally in the timeout know the ball, the ball, MJ's going to get doubled. And literally MJ goes, I know that Stockton's going to double me on the top of the key. You're going to be open. I want you to shot. I remember Steve Kerr has struggled this whole se- series. He's shooting you know, below 40% from the field. He's not making a single three-pointer. He's basically, you know, building a brick house. And yet even in the finals, MJ still trusts this guy. And that was the one thing that I think changed MJ pre to post retirement. Because I think even pre retirement, that first one, there was still like a sense of like Jordan needed to do it all. And the numbers still say the same picture on both sides. Like he was still dominant. But I think there was this like new side of Jordan that hadn't really like had before. And that shot's easily, again, it's one of those shots where um, like it, everyone remembers the curse shot. No one remembers that MJ A had to score all the points to get to that moment. And then B made the decision to not force up a fadeaway two over three people or, you know, pass out of adult, like or, uh, do some sort of crazy, like um, uh, uh, stroke of luck, but really just said, I'm going to give it to the open guy. I'm going to trust and make the shot. He told like, he, also it kind of just shows like how smart uh, Jordan was where he, even before the play, he knew he's like, okay, they're gonna double team me, and the guy who's gonna double team me is the guy who, who who's supposed to guard Kerr. So Kerr's gonna be open. Like even before they play, he knew Kerr was gonna be open, and he he told Kerr during the during the timeout, he's like, Kerr, be ready, I'm giving you the ball. <laughs> I remember there was a whole thing where where Jordan's trying to be super like low key about it. And I like, love, yeah, I I'll love be this ready, part. I'll be ready, man. <laughs> he's like, so no, funny. the funny thing is they actually show the tape, and the MJ just does like a little like under his mouth thing, and Steve Kerr's like, I'll be open, I'll be open. It's like funny. It's like super funny. And this obviously transitions us into the last episode because I want to tie things up here. And it's, it's my, I've always, my, my, I have a special place in my heart for this 98 finals, especially game six. I think game six is the best Jordan game of all time by far and away. It, not in terms of points, not in terms of fashion or in terms of style, in terms of just everything that you need to know about Jordan's career, the 98 finals determines exactly that. So for those of you who don't know, here's the background. Uh, Jordan, or there's this whole narrative between Jordan and Carl Malone. Obviously, Carl Malone wins the MVP in 97. Jordan used that as fuel to win in 97, and then obviously in 98A. B, they transition to game six. The Bulls are on their last legs. Remember, they've played a very competitive uh, uh, playoffs where they look tired, they look weak, they look old. We go to game six. Scottie Pippen is on a bad back. Rodman is 36. Uh, Steve Kerr and Ku coach and all these guys literally cannot make a shot. It actually ends up being, I think Jordan scores over half scores and assists on over half of the bulls points because they literally have no offense. 
Um, C, D, the bull, MJ is extremely exhausted and physically fatigued. And the funny thing about this game is that it is easily on paper one of MJ's worst games ever. He took a bunch of shots. He missed over half of them. He turned the ball over a couple of times. He missed some clutch free throws. And yet, it, when you watch the game, you look at it and it's totally different than how the stats put it out. Uh, Scotty Pippen was also on a bad back, right? He only played like half the game. Um, yeah, but I mean, it was, you got to see the, the final points. I remember they're talking about this could be the final point of, of Jordan's career. And it was the go ahead shot with like five seconds left on the clock. We just, he, um, there was a guy who was supposed to be like really good at defending him. I don't remember his name. But that, was, that was like his whole thing. Like he's like Byron oh, Russell. Yeah. Byron Russell. Um, or Brian Russell. Maybe? I don't know. Yeah. No, Byron um, Russell. There's a story about like, um, when he was in retirement, Byron Russell was a rookie and he goes like, Oh, um, I, why'd you leave, man? I was going to guard you, like all that stuff. And then he tells Carl Malone, hey, shut that kid up because I'm going to get him. And that comes back in 97, where in game one, he hits the jump shot game winner. And that's where Carl Malone misses two free throws to win the game. A, and then B, obviously that 98 jump shot over in game six. I want to look at the stats of this game because it's really so fascinating. So Jordan scores 45 points. So for reference, the Bulls in total scored 87 to win the game, which means Jordan already by himself scored over half the points. And he also had, an assist. So basically it, he almost, he basically had like 50 of the 87 points, which is pretty impressive. A. B, um, do you want to know who scored besides MJ? Because the stat line's not pretty. Let her rip. So Tony Kukoc actually had a pretty good game. He was seven of 14 from the field, finished with 15 points. Uh, Ron Harper had eight points. Scotty had eight points. Rodman had seven. And then Jed Bushler and Bill Wennington each had two and that's it. Uh, Luke Longley was 0 for 1. Um, Scott Burrell played 10 minutes and was negative 17 on the court, which means in the 10 minutes he played, they were 17 points worse with him. Um, Scotty, he was doing cardio. He was yeah. doing cardio. <laughs> yeah. Um, the funny thing is that Jordan's stat line is horrible, but it's also good at the same time. 45 points, but 15 of 35 from the field, um, playing 44 minutes. Uh, remember, after in the same series where he's averaging about 40 minutes a night, um, three of seven from three, which is pretty impressive. And then 12 of 15 from the line. I think the best part about this game is like watching MJ himself because he literally is like a, a soldier on the field. He starts out by taking jump shots and he keeps taking jump shots and jump shots. When the jump shot starts going short, he tries and goes in the post for fadeaways. When the fadeaways were going short, he went to the basket to go for layups and free throws. It's like a masterpiece where he's really using every arsenal in his tool book and his uh, toolkit. And it culminates in this awesome moment where in the last seconds, the Bulls are down three and MJ by himself causes, gets a layup, causes a steal by being super smart because that's what he does. And then getting this incredible jump shot, which by the way, um, after remember physical fatigue, being exhausted, all that stuff that, that especially, I think the steal is so impressive too, because of the way it happens where there's a back cut and Jordan just doesn't go for the back cut because he knows the play the right. Like this is the type of stuff that I think early MJ, like, what made MJ just so good, like both early and late MJ. Dude, he he crossed him. Like it was he he put him on the floor. He had him on skates. He had him on skates. <laughs> it was insane. He had him on skates. Um what what are your that, thoughts? That, on, that, I have a question. What are your thoughts on the narrative mm-hmm. about the push off? Because I kind of agree with Jordan. I'm not even being a homer here. Not a push-off. But like yeah, like watching the game, like it, you don't have the amount of energy to, you know, like put literally Jordan pushing him like on his butt, like 
off to the side. Like he was remember, like this guy's played so much. He didn't have the energy for it. And like Byron, like remember how like we play basketball, like if you're running that way, like you already had momentum and then you stop, you still keep going. Like you don't also, the defender also just doesn't stop either. So do you buy that or are you on the Byron Russell camp? I don't think it was enough force to cause, like, even he grazed him, right? Like, it, it wasn't like a, he, he it was a love. It went was out a of his way and extended his arm. He didn't extend his arm or anything like that. No, yeah. No, it's fine. I, I think that I agree with that, too. I think there wasn't enough contact. I think, it was like, the angle of it even, like, it just looked weird. I think it was just an interesting point they brought up. I want to tie in here because we have about five or so minutes left. Uh, it was obviously was a fantastic docu-series. Um, one of the best, probably, if not the best in my lifetime. What did you make of the fallout of the the Bulls? Because obviously they like detail like the last, you know, seven to 11 minutes where they go like, that was it. They weren't going to resign anybody. Um, and just like that, a dynasty that had dominated the NBA for 12 years is out the door. Uh, Jerry Cross is a cartoon villain, <laughs> is what I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He he told he told uh um well he told Phil Jackson he's like yeah you can win 82 games and I'm not resigning you and he even he got uh, Jerry Krause would have gotten circumvented by by the owner he um and basically he he offered Phil Jackson another year to coach based on how well they did but um Phil Jackson kind of said you know what I don't want to do that to Jerry uh, in my opinion uh, giving Jerry a little too much credit um. He certainly was the uh, give me a Dr. Doofenshmirtz vibes. Um, <laughs> it, it it's interesting because I do think that team could have won again. I don't think it would have been. I don't think it would have been a four peat. I, I think I think was too tired. Yeah, I think Scotty could have done more. Like I feel like Scotty still had gas left in the tank. Um, Dennis and Rodman he did. And wait, and is, to bounce out that he. Did. He did. He was the best player on a team that almost made the finals in 2000 with the Blazers. So it's not like he was, you know, totally out of the wall. He was not washed. I think to unpack a lot of this, first off, in retrospect, historically, Jerry Klaus does not age well in the dock just because of all the stuff he did, especially in regards to him hiring Tim Floyd um, after the whole Bulls breakup. Um, because literally, like, if that proved that you, like, didn't, you already, like, had a decision down, that proved it right there, A. B, there's the funny part of the dock where Jerry, uh, What's his name? Jerry, uh, not Jerry Kleinger, excuse me. What's his name? Um, Jerry Reinsdorf is asked a question about, I think, the breakup. And MJ was like, I've never heard what the excuse was. Because um, so the answer is that there was no excuse. The, the thing that makes the NBA so fascinating that I think people forget is that NBA title windows are very small. And not only are they small, but they can change at any moment. We have seen every year there's always one team to two teams where whose title aspirations fade away so fast when you didn't think they were. I think back to Philly in 2018, where that was probably the best team in the East and they could have made the finals, arguably, and a lucky shot just put them out of their misery. I think back to the Warriors, where all of a sudden a slew of injuries now puts them from, you know, the best team in the NBA to barely playoffs. I think about even like the Bulls, where there's uh, they go six rings is great, but there was also some stuff that happened where, you know, a couple MJ heroic performances less and they might not even win three or four rings. Like NBA windows are very close. And I think this definitely proved that, especially in this documentary, you don't want to waste that. Um, yeah, I think just more than that, it goes to show like how crazy it is to have like a talent like MJ, like LeBron, like Kareem, where you just, it doesn't matter the era. It doesn't matter the, circumstance they're they're still going to perform and they're still going to give you um what you need right it 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 becomes a point where like 
you have, you know, you have your superstars and you have these transcendental players. And we got, you know, we got to see our view on, on one of these transcendental players, uh, Jordan, you know, he had um, probably the greatest impact on the game of basketball, as much as I hate to say it as a, as a LeBron stand. He's had probably the greatest, you know, impact in terms of, of globalizing the NBA in terms of, of getting people to watch. Cause he got people to watch. It's, you know, be, be like Mike. It, it's, it's, you know, that's Michael Jordan. That's like Michael Jordan. You know what I mean? That's like, it, it just, he did more for the NBA. I, I remember David Stern. He, he, uh, he said, he's like, yeah. Um, what, what Jordan did for the NBA was like insane. Like that man, that man was basketball for a period of time. And this, this dog, even, you know, Jordan said he had more in the tank. That guy looked pretty, pretty tired in the 98 months, but um, just his impact, even off the court regarding the NBA is something that you could take away from the dog. And you can be like, yeah, that, that was Michael Jordan. Even as like, like a personal anecdote, my, my stepdad, he, he, um, he loves Jordan. He's, you know, he's from an era far different than mine, but he's like, yeah, I, you know, he was, he saw Jordan play live. He's like, yeah, Jordan was crazy. Like the, the, the guy's not even from this country. And he's like, yeah, the Jordan, Jordan was the Jordan mania was insane. So that, that type of stuff where like, even in the last episode during the, the sixth championship, like parade, you saw like the, um, as people were leaving, they're holding up signs from like hi Jordan from Brazil or high Jordan from like Belgium or whatever that that man single-handedly put the NBA across the globe. And that, that can't be overstated how important it was. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think that's a great way to end our doc here or our uh, podcast here. Just like ending on that note, how this is like bigger than basketball. Like, like there's the famous saying that bird and magic saved the NBA, but Jordan took it to extremely new heights. And a lot of things aged well in the doc, the quotes, the awesome story, some of like the new information. I think everyone took away something from this doc, even like if you were uh, on the bottom of the spectrum in terms of, you know, like how much you knew about the NBA all the way to, you know, like guys like us who follow it for like a living. Like we definitely saw like this was a uh, this was like an experience. I think we all enjoy. I think it was a really good doc. Certainly was a, certainly certainly was a great documentary. Um, I, I, I definitely enjoyed watching um, as a fan and just as a watcher you know like even if i didn't know about jordan even if i didn't know about the nba like it was just a, a, a well-produced documentary but i look at it i'm like you know they have the music at the right times they have the testimonials from people that matter you know they even as a narrative it's a very complete interesting narrative to follow i think it was just a great documentary all things considered all right michael thank you much uh thank you so much for joining the pod uh thank you thank you for having me all right, and uh, the same thing I told all my viewers, new episodes coming out every Tuesday and Thursday, both on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, we're back with our normal program uh, next Tuesday and then followed by Thursday, of course. Have a great rest of your day, guys, and uh, please stay safe.